Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word. We thank you for the privilege. What an, what an amazing privilege to be able to sit 2,000 years after you preached a sermon and to be able to look at the words that you preached. And so we just uh, we count that a great glory, and we give that glory back to you, and we um, keep it not for ourselves, but we ask, God, that you would uh, hold us uh, close to your own heart as we uh, fear to look and dare to look upon your word, that you would uh, speak your truth to us and make us uh, in your image. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, as we get started, I just want to say that there are some uh, flyers uh, like this for the live nativity that you can take and um, just, uh, I don't know, maybe put in your uh, put in the windshield wiper when you go to Trader Joe's or something like that. Um, or, uh, or you can, um, I don't know, plaster your neighbor's uh, car or something like that with them so just to get the, maybe get the hint. But we'd love for you to, to bring somebody. That's the, main, that's the main thing. This is a, I bet, I, honestly, I really think this is probably the biggest evangelistic effort in the Diocese of Florida at any time during the year. So um, if we get, I mean, it's going to be great weather this weekend. So we might, we had 1,500 the first year. We might have 2,000 come through. And so, um, and so we just, we're asking you to help us, uh, help us with that and, and pray. And you know what else we need? We need kings and shepherds. And so like all, you don't have to say anything. You just need to come and dress like a king. You know, we'll, uh, we'll dress you like a king or a shepherd or a Queen, maybe I don't know. That would be weird, but um, the um, but it would be it, what's that? And cookies? We need cookies. We need cookies. Oh, I bet we can get cookies. Yeah, I bet we can. We can, we got cookies covered. So uh, anybody who can who can make two dozen cookies and bring those sometime this week? Thank you so much. That's I. That's a hundred cookies right there. I bet we need we need just nineteen hundred more. That's great. Um, fantastic. We're well on the way. All right, we are in uh, we are in Matthew chapter six, and we're gonna um, just real quick. We're gonna cover fasting, which we talked uh, we didn't quite get to last week, and then we're going to look at uh, the rest of the chapter. Uh, this this week's title is "Own Up, Own Up," but the uh, and I don't really remember why why I named it that uh, all those weeks ago. But um, no, I'll, I'll I'll get to that. But Jesus has been showing us. If you remember, if you've been following with us, and if you haven't, that's fine, because you can pick up, jump right in. That's the great thing about Scripture. But if you've been following, you know that, that Jesus has been showing us that Christian faith is not a matter of mere obedience. It's like, like God is not just interested in you getting your act together so He can be happy. Um, the Christian faith is, in fact, a, a love relationship that is so deep that it naturally changes our behavior. A relationship between us uh, and God. It, uh, it, you remember how the sermon began. Jesus began His ministry by saying the same thing that John the Baptist said. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the Sermon on the Mount is the description, not a prescription, but a description of what it looks like to live a repentant life. Remember, repentance is not just saying, uh, all right, I'm going to stop doing the bad stuff and start doing the good stuff. That Repentance is actually coming to the end of yourself and beginning to trust in God instead. Turning to God and not to your own uh, strengths or devices or vices, as, as the case 
may be. Repentance. So he doesn't begin with repent or else. Repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why is the kingdom of heaven at hand? Because the king is at hand, right? And the real estate of the kingdom of heaven is the hearts of the faithful. So the Sermon on the Mount is the description of the repentant life. Does anybody have a question? Because this, again, if we miss that, and we talked about it several times, but if we miss that, we miss basically the whole thing. So anybody have a question about what I mean? And it's okay. It's important. See, description, not a prescription. What's a prescription? It says, do this, and you'll be accepted. Right? That's, that's a prescription. If you do this, then God will accept you. You will be made well, or whatever. But a description says, you've been accepted. And this is what that acceptance looks like manifested through your own life. So last week we talked about uh, giving and prayer, doing it for the Lord and not uh, for the praise of people. You know, not, not giving or not praying, you know, oh Lord, I just, you know, like I remember we talked about um, if, you are, if you don't want to pray out loud because you look foolish, that's just the same thing as wanting to pray and look amazing. Yeah, um, just so depending on what your, your neurosis is, then, um, then you need to either start praying in front of people or stop praying in front of people. Because we're doing it for the Lord and not for the praises of people. I do think I missed something important though. Jesus says, when you give, don't give like the hypocrites. When you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. He's talking about the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious people, but would you define for me uh, hypocrisy? What is hypocrisy? Saying one thing, doing another. Saying one thing, and doing another. Yes. And it's acting. Acting. What do you mean by acting? Um, they are playing a part, but they're not being real. Playing a part, but not being real. The kids call it the, you're posing, or actually, maybe not the uh, maybe not the kids these days. But when I was a kid, they called it posing. Um, but the. Uh, so yeah, so it's demonstrating that you are one way, but actually being the opposite of that way, right? Yes, ma'am. Also expecting others to act one way, but you not. Oh, that's good. That's good. So, so pretty much, you're, you're not just saying that you're one way and you're another way, but you're actually mandating that other people be a certain way, but you're not that way. And so we can think of maybe the politician who's tough on crime. Oh, come to find out he's in the mob's pocket, right? You know, so... Um, and of course, we always think about the preacher uh, and the fall from grace, caught in an affair, or something like that. Um, uh, religion is prime ground for uh, hypocrisy. And as you know, hypocrisy is one of the main accusations that people have against Christianity. Oh, it's really just a bunch of hypocrites, right? We proclaim, and, and why is that? It's because we proclaim the law of God, which is morality, which is goodness and kindness and love and acceptance, or whatever it is. I mean, everybody has their own morality that they think that, that is, uh, ought to be what the Bible says, uh, particularly if they're not Bible people, right? But, um, but we proclaim the laws of God, and we don't live up to them. And, and that, they say, is hypocrisy. And I tend to think they're right. Um, we can't uh, live up to them. But the pre- you know, so again, the preacher is found to be in an affair. It's a tragedy, but, it, but it's sort of a straw man. The, uh, but, you know, it makes the headlines and everything, but it's a straw man for this sort of complaint. It's, 
hypocrisy is really just part of our fallenness. It's part of our fallenness. And, and there's you know, conservative hypocrisy. Says you have a, a, a morality uh, that ought to be one way, but it's not, your morality isn't that way. Or you have a more progressive hypocrisy that says everybody ought to be accepted, except the people who don't think like we do. Right, so that that's um, and that is uh, I, I think hypocrisy, and yet it is just it's not because they're actually dumb, um, or the, you know on either side, it's because they're human, right? C.S. Lewis uh, in the in Mere Christianity, and we're actually uh, looking at this at the um, theology on tap, which is sort of uh, like. Um, it's, it's like uh, the Episcopal, I don't know what it is, it's just uniquely Episcopalian, but we go uh, get and, and, and drink beer and talk about Jesus, and, and that's um, not too much, not too much um, beer, that is, but, um, um, but C.S. Lewis, uh, anyways, it's every other Wednesday night, the next one will be on the 14th, and it's at uh, Mandarin Ale House at 6 o'clock, we'd love to have you, but um, public, public PSA. But, the, um, but C.S. Lewis uh, says in, the, in Mere Christianity that the law of nature is that we all know how we ought to live. We all know. I mean, it's, it's ingrained. Like, you look at the morality across every culture, and it's basically the same. I mean, if I cut you in line in China, it's not going to be good, right? You know, or if, um, it, it, we know how we ought to live. But we don't do it. <laughs> anywhere, ever. What we really want is for everybody else to do it so we can get away with not doing it. That's really, that's, that's the law uh, of nature, and that's why Jesus came. So, um, so the, I heard a great response to that accusation of hypocrisy. A man said, uh, somebody said, oh, you know, uh, church is just full of hypocrites. And, and the guy said, yep, and there's always room for one more. <laughs> Which is awesome. You know, that's just a great response. It, it's true. It's absolutely true. Um, now, we would do well, I think, to examine where we are hypocritical and make a habit of repenting of it. Repentance, is, uh, as we've said many times, is not just a one-time act uh, where I give my life to Jesus or whatever that is, but you just, it's a daily act. It's uh, every, every week when we say the, um, the confession of sin, which is the general confession, which is sort of a head nod to what we ought to be doing probably minute by minute, right? right? It's, it's we're... Uh, confessing our, our sin before God, not that we're wicked as wicked can be, but that we are imperfect and we need a Savior. So, let's finish up last week's teaching real quick on fasting. Um, and Jesus says, this is verse 16, and when you do fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and uh, that their fasting may be seen by others. See, there's intent there. I'm disfiguring my face so other people will see I'm fasting. And they'll think, wow, that guy's so holy. Um, in that culture, that was a big deal. In this culture, you're just a weirdo. But the, um, the, um, so truly I say to you, they have received their reward. That's it. And it's going to feel awesome because they have they've affirmed you. Jesus says, but when you fast, not if, dang it. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your Father who sees in secret. And if your Father who sees in secret, and, and sorry, I messed that up, uh, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, not if you fast, but when you fast, don't look gloomy. 
don't look like you're making some great big sacrifice. Because you're not fasting in order to try to look holy. You're fasting to try to love God. To get to know Him in that love relationship that changes our, uh, the outcome of our behavior. Uh, fasting is prayer with your body. Or prayer with your habits. It doesn't have to always, always be food. Uh, but it should not be about willpower. This is important. Fasting will involve some willpower, but it's not about willpower. Can I make it through? It's about focus. And so, for instance, when you're in Lent, it's not just for Lent, but when you're in Lent and you're giving up chocolate and you go for that piece of chocolate and you think, oh, I can't have chocolate. First of all, don't disfigure your face. <laughs> but instead of like going, oh, I'm going to have to get through it, just say, just remember to redirect and say, thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice that you made for me. So we're, we're just taking that as an opportunity to focus once again on Jesus, who made the ultimate sacrifice for us. Right? So fasting is not about willpower, it's about focus. I'm giving up television for, well, not during the championship, not during bowl week, of course, but I mean, like, um, if, if I'm giving up bowl, if I'm giving, I'm not football, I'm not giving up football, but um, for heaven's sakes, I'm not crazy, but, the, um, but I'm giving up something so that I can, whatever's occupying the, a place in my heart that, that God uh, might ought to occupy. Right? That's, that's really important. Um, and it's easy to act as if in our fasting, we're looking like we're, Focusing on God, but actually we're so concerned. We're you know we're um, we're not name dropping. We're um, holiness dropping. You know like oh I'm, well I'm fasting this week so um, you know like um, and I I heard one guy that like he would fast the way he fasted that he would he would uh, he could drink he could drink drinks but he couldn't eat so he would go to McDonald's get milkshakes uh, three times a day and I just I'm not really sure but that's just me because I'm not even doing that so. Um, you can fast from food. That's great. You can fast from all food for a day or three days. Ten. I've known people to do 20 days. I've known people to try 40 days. First, don't do that first. Don't do it. Do it. You got you to gotta really like train your body. Um, but they don't, it doesn't usually go that well. Uh, but you might just try lunch if you want to fast from food. But you don't have to fast from all food either. Like you can fast from... Um, uh, fast from certain foods. And don't just do it to lose weight. Like, that's the wrong focus. Like, do it to focus. Well, actually, one time I was fasting in seminary. I, I used to kind of fast a lot. And in seminary, I would fast uh, one day a week. And I prayed that God would not let me lose weight because of that. And I, um, because, so that my focus would be on that. And then I didn't lose weight. And I was so mad, really. I was, <laughs> what was I thinking? But you fast from TV, fast from uh, alcohol. That's a really good thing uh, to fast for a, a season from alcohol. Some people do dry January. I always fast from alcohol uh, during Lent, um, except when I don't. But the um, no, I'm kidding. I, I, I'm pretty good about that. I and when, every premarital couple that I meet, I tell them to fast from sexual activity. I don't get into the fact that they shouldn't have been doing it anyway. But I just, I just, they're they are. So I just say. Um, let's fast. Let's, let's take that off the table and focus on our relationship and focus on God. And that's the first meeting. And if they come back, then we talk about some really, really good, good things. Yeah. 
A fast, is it a discipline? Yes, I would, I would say a fast is a discipline. The head and the heart? Of the heart. If you're doing TV, what's the fruit that comes from the heart or from your head? Your calendar. I mean, you know, like it's, you know, you're just, it's just time. And so you're taking that time and you're giving it back to service or you're giving it back to... Okay, but re- you're giving it back to God. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, you're not just, I mean, if you're fasting from TV, but you're reading, um, you're, you're reading smut novels, like that's, I wouldn't say that's a better option. Or I'm fasting from television, but I'm actually watching my iPad. Like that's, you know, that's not... Uh, now, I, there's a great, a great story. There's this really wonderful lady in, uh, at my last church uh, in Birmingham, and she's a really like, fancy lady. She's just one of these people that she kind of loved to hate because she's beautiful and, and wealthy and, um, and just as pious as the day is long, just loved to hang out with homeless people. You know, just, um, and she wouldn't like, like her husband was a doctor, but um, he kind of just worked as a doctor because he wanted to because she, her dad or granddad had like started the coca-cola bottling company or something like that. i mean like like wealthy and um and she what she gave up for lent uh like i said she's pious but she she gave up for lent buying clothes for herself <laughs> which is so first world it's not even just first world, it's the top one percent of the first world but i um but it was but it was important to her because it was occupying a place but easter was coming <laughs> and she's like, well, I could buy it now, but I won't wear it until after Lent is over, and God would understand, and God would want me to wear a nice new dress for Easter, and like, she just found a way to justify it in her mind and bought herself this dress. And, and she, I mean, she laughs like you about the story now, but, and, and so then, like, eight o'clock, the night before Easter, somebody calls up and says, hey, I'm supposed to be a chalice bearer tomorrow, but I can't, I'm sick. Will you please do it for me? And so she wore her dress and then put the robe over her dress and nobody got to see it. And all she could say was, you know, you know forgive me, Lord, and, and you got me and... I love that story, but the thing is, we want His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and so we want to give Him every aspect of our hearts, and fasting is a good way to do that. Um, I'm not, a, I, don't, I don't exercise a lot, and so I don't, I don't fast a lot, I don't do good, um, I mean, I, it's to be a surprise to Amy, but I don't do good when I'm tired and hungry, uh, those are, those are, and my mom, and my dad, who are right here, yes, uh, and to my, and to Elaine, Elaine also knows, but those are the only people who know. So, um, yeah. That's not true. All right. Um, fasting's not just for Lent. Let me just, let me just say let me just say like that. So it's it is good to fast, and I will I will say this when I when I fast from food and I and I really haven't done it much. I usually do it on Good Friday. Um, but it, but when I fast. What I have noticed is that it's very different than just forgetting to eat. That actually having that focus actually does, is e- easier from a hunger standpoint. Um, I should. I really should. I really should. So now, let's move from there. Um, so now we have three sayings that get clustered together, and they're under the heading, lay up treasure for yourself in heaven. Um, but it is... 
is, is sometimes these, it's like these three sayings are just kind of stuck in, like we don't really know what to do, but they actually all work really well together if we take some time to think about it. Um, the first one's about laying up treasures in heaven, but they're not all about that. But it is, there is a sense in which they are continuing the same theme of what, who, who is our, uh, who is our, where's our focus, where's our, our heart in this, and actually it's kind of a bridge from hypocrisy to anxiety. Because we have a section on hypocrisy and we have a section coming on anxiety. And this, these three little pithy sayings are kind of, um, they're, they're kind of diagnostic. They are, um, they're probing. Uh, and, and it's asking, um, you know, where's your real love? You know, where, who, who is your target audience in your piety? I mean, is it, is it Keith? You know, everybody's just, you're trying to, trying to impress Keith over here? Or are you doing it for the Lord? Like audience of, of, of one. Um, I mean, Keith, he's, he's a big deal. But the, um, uh, where is your real love? Um, and so, I mean, like a physician, you go to a physician and you ask, uh, and the, your physician asks you diagnostic questions. Does it hurt when I touch here? You know, how's, are you, how's your, are you feeling shortness of breath? Are you having trouble sleeping? They ask you diagnostic questions to figure out what it is that's going on inside your body. And Jesus is asking diagnostic questions, although they're statements, di- making diagnostic probing statements um, to see what's going on inside our heart. Where's your heart's treasure? How clearly are you seeing life? What's your lens that you're seeing life through? And, and who are you really serving? Who are you really serving? Because see, I think, and I think while we have this bridge here in this diagnostic bridge from hypocrisy to anxiety is because hypocrisy actually produces anxiety. Because um, we have to keep covering up. Right? I mean, Trent, sorry, in the sermon has a little section where he talks about lying. Like you just tell one lie, but then you've got to tell a lie to cover up that lie. And it's just, who, who have I told? And it just creates this, this anxiety. Or, um, you know, having to, you know, you wouldn't believe. Like the person that has all, you know, the amazing car and the amazing house and the incredible clothes. Like they are up to their eyeballs in debt and you would never know it. Like, but they have all this anxiety that they stuff down. Or just something, you know, something like that. A hypocrisy produces anxiety. And so I think we have this bridge uh, here. The first one, and we're just going to take them one at a time. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What? I mean, it, it, what, it, what is... What is Jesus saying, and what is Jesus? What is Jesus not saying? <coughs> is it okay to have a savings account? Is it okay to have a big savings account? Sure. Yeah, sure. Why do you think so? Well, I think God blesses us in, in a lot of ways. We return <coughs> what is His, uh, and we respond to Him because He loves us. And the more we find the love of God, the easier it is for us to walk through our Christian life. Right, so, so for the folks watching online, what Doc said was that, that the, the more we have, the more we can give away, the more we can bless others with, right? So we return to God what God has given to us. All things come to thee, O Lord, and of thine own have we given thee. Um, so this is really material treasure versus earthly treasure. He's not saying don't make money. He's not saying don't save money. Um, he's, what he's saying is don't prize your money. Don't prize your money. Uh, material wealth, obviously, can be taken away. 
or moth and rust destroy, right? Or when thieves break in a seal, there's unforeseen, uh, unforeseen actions. The bank loses the check. The, uh, you know, the people like sent, have sent us checks or sent other people checks, and they have found a way to take the checks out of the mailbox. This happened to us once. It happened to several churches around uh, Jacksonville. It made the news. They take checks out, and they found a way to cash them, even though they're made out to, uh, to the church. And, and the church never knew it was coming, and the people say, oh, look, it got cashed, and, and nobody knew, knew the difference. It, took, it was like a huge thing. Um, unexpected, unexpected events, uh, misuse by others, material wealth is temporal, entirely temporal. Right? It is good to have money. The church needs for people to have money. Yes. Right? Because... Because we wouldn't have the lights on if people with money didn't give the money, right? We need people to have money so that they can give it away. Um, uh, it's good to have money. It's good to use that money to bless others. It's good to give a bunch away. But it's also, I think, I think it's good. I think it's fine to use the money uh, to enjoy your life. Have fun. Now, if, you, if it's, you know, if we've got to figure out about priorities and percentages. But, but I think that um, you shouldn't feel bad about using your money, from a Christian sense, you shouldn't feel bad about using your money in a way that you enjoy. Uh, it is not good, though, to make earthly things or even earthly experiences the, the prize of your heart because that is called idolatry. Right? We make, we, putting something like uh, material wealth on the throne of our heart. And G- Jesus, I think, is assuming that the repentant disciple wants to prize heavenly things. That's the assumption Jesus is making. And, but it's, he also knows, because he knows what's in a human, he knows that what's in us, and he knows that it's very easy to let our, uh, the focus of our heart wander, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. So, um, you can have a wonderful life without material wealth. You can. It's really, uh, you, even without, or material blessing. You can have a wonderful life. Think of, I know many of you have been to third world countries and you've met those people who are the, just the most joyful people. And you think, like, it is amazing to us because we have so much that, that they would be joyful when they have nothing. Why are they so joyful? Because they have nothing. They don't have anything to be stressed about, right? It is, um, I mean, it's not that their life is easy. It's just what they know. But there is something to the fact that our world, which has everything, is filled with people who are in uh, therapy and medication. And I've, listen, I'm, I got both, right? And so I'm not, I'm not saying those are bad things. You should do those things. But it is, uh, we have a mental health crisis. We have, uh, we have a health crisis. We have all sorts of things. We have despair. We have broken relationships. And we have so much. Like, I think there's something to it. And so what Jesus wants... Uh, those things not be the prize of our hearts. Yes, Charlotte. I was just going to say, I think too part of it living in, in, in the Western world or the developed world, you know, the television is constantly on with, if you buy this, you know, you will be beautiful. You won't have wrinkles or uh, you won't have a backache or if you buy this, this thing, you're going to be happy. And so people keep trying to buy things to be happy yes. instead of focusing on either partially what you already have but then focusing on like the people or focusing on God. I, I think to 
a certain extent, quite honestly, I think the United States has turned its back on God. Yes, I, I would agree with that. I, I, I hate to say that, but I feel like it's like if you just buy this or give them this or they... They'll be happy, but that's not what happens. Well, I mean, every, I mean, every, every marketing thing. I mean, it, it'll say it's for your good, and and it might be, and they might believe in their product, but they want your money. I mean, that's that's the that's the that's the point of marketing, you know. So, um, anyway, we're just we don't we don't want to make them bad because all of, all of us have sold things, you know, right? And I'm, we're in the middle of capital camp. I mean, a uh, you know um, annual giving campaign. So, um, the um, but earthly. I'll say this about Western society. Earthly wealth is unchallenged as a life goal. Right. It's just unchallenged. We just don't think about it. The purpose of life, obviously, is to make as much money as possible. No, well, it's not. It's not. Where does true blessing come from? Poverty of spirit. Look at the Beatitudes. Blessedness comes from being poor in spirit, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, meekness, mourning our sins, so that's where, that's where blessing comes from. Stuff creates anxiety. And needing affirmation creates anxiety as well. So, so Joe. Yes. So we just recently moved and uh, an admission against interest. I think fasting goes across multiple things. I would call it consumption. Because it's not just about putting the food aside, but there was so much stuff that we didn't need. And oh, yeah. it just really, yeah. and you go, you know, how did, how did this happen? Nothing helps your spirit like a good purge. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, Joe, you bring it out of me anyway, so I figured I might as well be that sometimes. I'm just doing it to impress you, as it basically is, what, um, is, is how this is going, yeah. Well, let's, let's move on to the second one, because I, I, it would be great if I didn't have leftover stuff to cover next week. But the, um, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, this is a metaphor that's probably lost on us. I mean, it just seems like, what, in the, what is he talking about? Let's move on. Um, but what he's saying is um, it, it's, that faith is a matter of perspective. What's your, what's your lens? Are you seeing things through the eyes of faith? Are you seeing things through selfish eyes? Who's on the throne of your heart? Who are you serving? Who's demanding? A healthy eye equals right perspective. Um, And and what what comes into your body, essentially, I mean, you can see, you know, through your eyes comes light. You can see why that would be a a metaphor in in Jesus' day. Um, But if your body's full of light, then where you go, that's your feet, right? So where you, where you go is uh, sanctified in a sense. Your hands, what you do is sanctified. What you think is sanctified. That's your mind. Your, what you eat is sanctified. Your stomach, how you, uh, how you love is sanctified. That's your heart. I will tell you, and my wife will tell you, that I, I struggle with these a lot. Like in the last, I don't know, 13 hours. Um, not much, just a little bit. Um, how great is the darkness? That's, that's the, this is the problem of the world, and this is the, this is the reason Jesus came. Because we're never going to see completely clearly. Right? We're never going to see in this world, and, and not just this Western world, but this world, this fallen world. Uh, we're never going to see clearly. But we want to always position it as part of the repentant life. What am I looking at life with? The life of the lens of faith. And then we have, uh, last one, no one can serve two masters, 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, he, the, part of me wants to rush ahead and say, well, it's not just money, it's anything. You can't serve God in anything. But Jesus could have said, you can't serve God and serve anything else. He could have said that, but he didn't. He said you can't serve God and money. Mammon, I think, is, is, is the word. Um, you can't serve God and things of this earth, um, particularly money. We think about um, 2 Timothy, I think is where it is. The money is, the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not, the, money is amoral, right? It doesn't, it's not good or bad. It is how it's used. It's how it's used. And so it's the love of money. This is the root of all kinds of evil, says St. Paul. Um, so he pick, why does he pick out money specifically? I think that's yeah, correct. Okay, say more. Well, wasn't, he, wasn't he specifically talking about the gentleman that uh, um, needed to give up all his wealthy goods to come before God? Uh, not, not in Matthew. But that comes. That's later. But in his ministry. But yeah, yeah. I mean, so yeah, the rich young ruler. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's coming up. I mean, it wouldn't be any less true at this point in Jesus' ministry. Why does he pick out money? We have to, just as we have to have food, we have to have money in order to survive, to buy the products to sustain us. So it's it's one of those. Damned if you do and damned if you don't. If you have to have it. You have to have money. But he's, what I've tried to say before, he's not, he's not saying money is bad. So, but why does he pick out money specifically? Money is not bad. It's, it's, it doesn't, it's not good or bad. It's how it's used. So why does he pick out money? Yeah. Sometimes the amount of money that's made can be directly related to how moral you are or how your values, you know, you might get a paycheck for going to do an honest day's work. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, I've, I've met some fabulously wealthy people who are incredible people, like this woman I was talking about. Um, and I've met people who had no money who were terrible people. But, you know, um, but it, it is, money does, I think, have a way, or money or stuff, we'll call throw just material things in there as well, um, that it does have a way of grabbing a hold of our hearts, making, being part of our identity. Um, and it touches every aspect of and our life. That's, that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It can be addictive. Yeah, you're, it can be addictive. Yeah, in, in a sense, for sure, yeah. They'll hiring people throughout the day, you know. In the end, they all got the same pay. Right. But the ones who worked the most were jealous of the ones who got the same amount of pay. No, that, that is a difficult parable. Yes, the parable of... of uh, the laborers in the vineyard, um, and that is a difficult one. But but you're right. You're absolutely right. They get, they were jealous because they worked harder but got the same amount. Yes, Phyllis. Um, my mother always said you could be possessed by your possessions. You can be possessed by your possessions. So you can. It's fine to have things, just don't let your things have you. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's right. That's good. Um, I think the American church is particularly susceptible to financial greed for all the reasons that Charlotte was talking about. 
um, about our culture, that we're part of the culture. And I'm part of the church, and you are too. I think it's very susceptible. And I'm not just talking about prosperity gospel, folks. Um, but what is, what's remarkable, I mean, we're, as we, next week, part of the readings are the Magnificat. And um, if you look at that, um, or I think it's Psalm 113, or uh, the Song of Hannah uh, in First Samuel, um, that it is, it is uh, that God lifts up the lowly. He uses the weak, not the powerful. And, um, and so it, it is ridiculous, really. It's, it's a loss of focus when we, in the name of God, uh, where we uh, try, to, try to get power, or we try to, to gain wealth. Um, you know, it's, it's a funny thing. I, I, somebody says, you know, I know that money can't buy you happiness, um, but I would, I'd, I'd like to just give it a shot. You know, like, um, is what, um, and, and so uh, it's just, it just has this, this sort of pull on us, and it is a matter of repentance. Not to do away with our money, although it's good to give away a lot of money, but it's um, not just to do away with it, but, but actually to, um, actually to, Make sure that money is not uh, owning us. Uh, do we trust God to provide? Uh, and will we try to raise, uh, in the church, we try to raise more money for money's sake? Um, or are we really putting that money that we're raising towards the, the use of the gospel? Um, Jesus says never, never says blessed are the rich. Right? It's always blessed are the poor. Or the poor in spirit. And he answers it later. I mean, seek first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness and all these other things. Everything you need will be added to you. All right, let's get to misaligned priorities and perspectives create anxiety. So Jesus talks about anxiety. And I, for one, am glad he does. Except that the command, don't be anxious, kind of makes me anxious. <laughs> it's one more thing. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Oh, and which of you, this one, I, I want to like, I'm probably not going to get a tattoo, but if I were going to get a tattoo of verse, this would be a good one right here. You know, just, just not going. I was just thinking about this last night. I, this, this would be a good one to tattoo somewhere um, so I can see it. Um, and just be always reminded. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Whew. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory, if you know, I mean, they would have seen Solomon's day as the height of wealth in, um, in Israel's history. In all his glory, he was not arrayed like one of these, just a simple lily of the field. But if God so clothes the, fe- the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? The Gentiles, that is the non-faithful people, they seek after all these things. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, 
for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble, which is a very awkward translation to say every day has enough trouble of its own. One of my favorite scholars, Sinclair Ferguson, says, uh, wrote that anxiety can never be cured by getting more of what we already have. That's going to go tattooed on this arm. <laughs> anxiety can never be cured by getting more of what you already have. And I have to tell you, I struggle with anxiety. Uh, I do. Um, and I, and I, I don't mind telling you, I, I take a little something for it. Like it just, it, um, it, I, I, I need, it helps me be a, closer to the man that I want to be. But I struggle with anxiety, and the cure. This what's what this says: that the cure for anxiety is not getting the thing you're anxious about fixed. That's totally counterintuitive. The cure for anxiety is not getting the thing you're anxious about fixed. The cure is resting in the truth. So Jesus takes his disciples and and appeals to nature and reminds us of what is true. That God has even things He doesn't care about nearly as much as He cares about you. Is what Jesus is saying naive? I mean, in theory, no, but... Let me ask a, a little, ask a different way. Do we sometimes live as if G, what Jesus is saying is naive? Yeah. Wanting to have control. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Paul. Put on all the armor. The armor on righteousness, on our truth, on the gospel, on our helmet of salvation. And if we put on that, every day we get up, we got to put on that armor. Yes. Paul said that we um, have to put on the armor of God every day. Every day we put on that armor of God. Resting in the truth. That's why it's so important to have a quiet time. I think it's better to have it in the morning where you're reading. Scripture and applying it, not just skimming over the words, but you're chewing on it. I don't do that every day. I wish I did. I need to do it most days. He says, "Seek first the kingdom of God." Why? Because who who gets the kingdom of God? The poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It always starts with humility, coming being at the end of yourself. Right? It's not magic. Jesus is appealing to nature to demonstrate that God is going to take care of you. It's not magic. If the ends aren't meeting, you still have to evaluate the sustainability. You don't think, well, you know, I hadn't made a mortgage payment in three months, but, you know, God's got this. I mean, you know, like, you might need to move, you know, like that's a, that's a, um, or get a better job or something, you know, like you still get, we got to evaluate the systems. That's not what Jesus isn't saying, don't be smart about things. He's just saying, walk in faith and be a person of integrity. Live from a life of repentance and God will reward you. And even the difficult times, you'll look back on with gratitude and be able to see His hand. Alright, got 18 seconds. Any questions? <laughs> That's about it for today, y'all. The, um, next week, we're into chapter 7. Uh, now, I will say, uh, it's marathon week next week. 
Give yourself a little extra time to get here. Most of it's cleared out by 10.15, usually. They've come and gone. There'll still be some runners out, there's slower runners. The ones that, they're too tired to get out of the way if your car's coming fast, so just be real careful <laughs> and be real patient with them. And, um, and then, and, um, and, but we'll, we'll be here. We'll still be here. It'd be great. I mean, just cheer them on. Honk, don't honk at them. Honk for them, right? You know, th- give, them a, give them a thumbs up and, uh, and come to church. Later is better. God bless you. Thank you.